Hey guys, and welcome to the Family Business Indaba podcast. We are the voice of African family business, promoting generational wealth and generational legacies. And my name is Susan Tendi. And I am Nika Amani. And we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business. Welcome to everybody who's joined us so far. Thank you for joining us for the first ever African Women in Family Business Conference. My name is Tissi Mutendi and I am one of the co-founders of African Family Firms. So as we wait for our presenter for this morning, I would just like to welcome everybody who's joined us. Um, just a few bits of information. I have disabled video for everybody as well as audio um, in terms of your microphones. If you would like to give us a question or give a question to our presenter for today, please use the chat box at the bottom of your screen and we will read out the question to the presenter. We want to avoid too much dis disturbances for the presenter as they're presenting, as well as just having too many microphones and videos on. So you will find that your microphone and your video has been disabled for this session and for every other session if you're going to join us. Again, welcome to everybody who's with us this morning. My name is Tissim Tendi and I am one of the co-founders of African Family Firms and I am here with my other co-founder Nike Anani. And I will just introduce you a bit to African Family Firms, to those who, who are not familiar with us and the work that we do. We are uh, the first and, or should I say the biggest African Family Business Association on the continent currently. We are represented in a lot of African countries and we're seeking to get representation in all 54 African countries. Our mandate is very much centered on building generational legacies and generational wealth for family businesses. We believe that family businesses in Africa are going to be the future of the economic giant that Africa can become. And so as African family firms, our four pillars or our four areas of focus are firstly, Community, community and networking. We are creating a community of family businesses and networking family businesses through setting up chapters across the continent, representation in every country so that we can hear from family businesses across the continent and understand the issues that they're facing and allow them to network with each other and understand that we all face similar problems and we can help each other by sharing experiences and also sh sharing what we face as we go in this journey of being family businesses. Our second pillar is education. We focus on helping family businesses get the right education in terms of uh, workshops, partnerships with educational institutions to offer family business members and family business enthusiasts information and also education on family businesses and the nuances that affect family businesses. We also are working on an advisory certification for family business advisors who are going to be working with family businesses because we know that it takes a village to raise a child and for family businesses to be effective, they need advisors who know how to identify them and how to work with them. 
Our third pillar is research. We found that on the continent, there is little to no research on family businesses. And therefore, there's not enough information or data-driven information that can help organizations or interested parties who want to work with family businesses. So we're working with different research institutions. We're working with different academia to allow ourselves to get more research on family businesses on the continent and then be able to do data-driven decision-making and data-driven influencing. Our fourth pillar, which is very important to us, is also advocacy. Advocacy is when we start working and collaborating with different players across the continent to get representation in governments across the continent for family businesses, to get family business desks, and to also to influence policies that negatively or positively uh, affect family businesses wherever they are. And setting up our chapters is going to really help us because in each country we have representation, we can really dig down to find out what are these policies that affect family businesses and how can we then help to advocate and to influence these policies. And as we are thinking and looking at that, the work we have been doing for the past year, last year we had a conference in April, which was a 21 day conference on on family businesses. It was a global conference. This year we will be more focused on the African continent and we will be having another conference in May. So look out for that. We also partnered up with the Nelson Mandela University in August and had the first ever African Family Business Research Conference, which was incredible. We got together a lot of important papers which then led us to this conference that we are having now for African women in family businesses and we thank you for joining us and I'll hand over to Nike to just introduce you to Phoenix and why we are having this conference. Hi ladies and gentlemen good morning good afternoon and thank you for joining us um, for this conference. Uh, first annual African Women and Family Business Conference themed Phoenix. And what is Phoenix? Phoenix is to celebrate and to champion women in family businesses in Africa. And our theme is really inspired by wanting to see women and family firms overcoming their limitations, rising to the challenge to become successful leaders that maximize their potentials and lift others women that blaze the trails for future generations. And so this event will be holding for the next three days and each day has a particular theme. So first day today is a focus on female founders. Um, we'll be unpacking and highlighting issues that are particular to female founders or family businesses, highlighting opportunities to bridge the gap between male founded businesses and female founded ones looking at what distinguishes female founded businesses from male ones in terms of focuses on ESG, impact, family governance, community, and things of the like. And also to unpack and discuss several ladies' aspirational success stories. Tomorrow we'll be looking at female successes. So we'll be highlighting issues particular to female successes of family businesses. We want to understand male founders' perspectives. So this is not just a conversation for just ladies um, to unpack and explore the role of societal conditioning, the role of um, the laws in our various different jurisdictions. Um, for instance, inheritance laws um, that might be obstacles for female successes. 
and again to um, showcase aspirational success stories of female successors that have successfully taken over from their male fathers. And then on day three, we'll be focusing on the future. So looking ahead at our future business world, what changes need to take place now to ensure that African family businesses are truly building future-proof businesses, businesses that are innovative, tech forward, um, implementing more um, environmental, um, social governance, and what roles should women play in that process? So we'll be unpacking the role of diversity and inclusion programs, the role of governance, leadership development, and again, we'll be having a success story to um, inspire and um, inform us all. So thank you so much. Um, this should be a fun-packed three days. I'm really looking forward to it. We encourage you to share within your networks with any ladies or even males in family businesses that this topic is particularly pertinent to. This morning um, or afternoon, depending on where you're at, um, our first session is by Adesua Okumbo Roots. And she'll be giving a presentation on capital raising for female-founded firms. So I'll hand over to you, Alisua. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nikia. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'll just share my screen so that um, I can go through the brief uh, presentation that I've put together. Um, so let me know if you can see my screen. Can you see my screen? Okay, great. Um, so I'll just give a little bit of background on, uh, on Arua and what we do. Um, so we are, um, I'm the founder of Arua Capital Management. Uh, we are a Lagos-based, female-founded and led growth equity and gender lens fund. Uh, we've been on the ground for the last six years uh, and we believe that we've identified uh, what is an attractive uh, investment opportunity that's currently being overlooked by other funds. Uh, we invest around 500,000 to $2 million uh, into businesses that are in an, at an inflection point of their growth trajectory. So these are businesses that are proven, uh, they have already proven their business model, uh, but they require that growth capital to take them to the next stage of growth. Um, and in line with our gender lens strategy, we're very intentional about only providing capital to those businesses that provide essential goods and services to women uh, that help improve you know, women's lives in some way. Uh, we see this as a very untapped investment opportunity uh, and being a woman myself, um, I believe I can identify attractive products and services that I would use as a woman. Uh, we also invest in businesses that are founded and led by women, uh, have gender diverse management teams uh, or employ women in their workforce or value chain. Um, so we have a very intentional uh, gender lens strategy. Um, we focus on uh, you know, several sectors. We're a generalist fund, uh, but I'll say that the themes that always come up uh, in line with our investment strategy are within consumer goods, um, agri-processing, where we have a lot of women that are active in that value chain as smallholder farmers, uh, we have uh, healthcare that we invest into, whether that is maternal health or feminine care. Uh, we're also investing into tech-enabled 
financial inclusion. Uh, that, that may be businesses that are providing access to credit to women entrepreneurs or technology businesses that are founded by, uh, by women. Uh, we also invest uh, in education where a lot of the schools uh, that we come across uh, have the proprietors uh, that are women. Um, so these are some of our sector focuses. And you know, this is where we've really seen very attractive investment opportunities uh, that are in line with our, with our gender lens strategy. Uh, we invest mainly in Nigeria, uh, but we opportunistically look at Ghana uh, for diversification. Uh, we invest, uh, we're currently investing from a $20 million fund uh, to capture this uh, untapped and overlooked opportunity. Uh, we've already deployed $2.5 million into a very attractive investment, uh, which is you know, validating our investment strategy of maximizing returns whilst having measurable women's economic empowerment. And what are our objectives? Uh, our objectives are we are investing in only women impact businesses. So these, these are businesses for women and by women. Uh, our aim is to enhance gender, and, uh, gender equality and women's economic empowerment, both from the capital allocator perspective to the consumer, to the women entrepreneur, and just generally uh, to empower women as stakeholders uh, across society. Um, and we're doing this through our investments intentionally. Um, we are addressing any and gender imbalances that we see within investee companies because we believe that this will actually be a, a driver of profitability and, and returns. And I'll come, I'll come back to that later in the presentation. Um, because of the segment that we're in, you know, where we're investing in SMEs that are either for women or by women, we are really you know, enabling job creation because when we provide growth capital to these, uh, to these companies uh, that are an inflection point of their growth, you know, these companies in this segment are really the companies that are um, you know, um, um, employing uh, uh, the most, uh, the, 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 the employing the most um, uh, people. Um, so as you provide them with capital, we're really enabling job creation across all segments. And as a hands-on investor, and, and you know, we're local and have proximity to our investments, so we're institutionalizing these businesses as well through hands-on operational involvement because you know, these are SMEs that have typically been very focused on growing their top line. They haven't really thought about sustaining their bottom line. So we help them to improve informed decision-making. We help them to improve corporate governance, and we really help them to institutionalize so that they can effectively go to that next stage of growth. Um, and our, our overall aim is we want to showcase the business case for gender lens investing and investing in women. Uh, and to do this, we believe that it has to be commercial. You have to generate superior returns because that is the only way you make this scalable. That is the only way you make this sustainable. Um, so we're generating superior returns, closing the gender investing gap and making the business case for investing in women. Uh, and I wanted to give that background uh, because I think it would put, um, you know, the presentation into context. Uh, I'll also give a little bit of background uh, on myself. Um, so uh, I'm the founder of Aurora Capital Management, as I mentioned. Uh, I've been in the finance, uh, private equity and investment banking industry now for the last 12 years. Um, started my career uh, at Lehman Brothers in investment banking. I then transitioned to uh, JP Morgan after the financial crisis, also in investment banking and M&A, uh, and moved on to leverage finance uh, in, in, a, in JP Morgan um, after the very, very uh, late finishes, thinking that it would be different, but it was the same. 
um, and uh, managed to cut my teeth across a number of transactions in JP Morgan, you know, um, was involved in over $5.5 billion worth of transactions across emerging markets, uh, including Nigeria, uh, where I'm from. Um, so really cut my teeth in terms of, you know, uh, institutional due diligence, institutional documentation, etc. Uh, prior to JP Morgan, uh, I should mention, I also worked uh, at an Africa-focused private equity fund called TLG Capital uh, as an investment professional uh, involved in transactions across Anglophone Africa, uh, including a very successful investment in Uganda, uh, which is where I really actually got my itch, I would say, for impact investing, because uh, I invested alongside the fund uh, with, with some money back then, and we made a very attractive return of over three times money. But at the same time, we saw that the effect that we had in this investment, where we were, you know, supporting a local manufacturer of anti-malaria and antiretroviral drugs, and we saw the impact that that had uh, in Uganda, um, you know, in terms of providing access to, you know, affordable, genuine drugs uh, to, to, to the society, and then being able to export it to, to neighboring countries in East Africa. So that was really the first time that I saw this seamless intersection between making money and doing good. Uh, so when I went back to JP Morgan, I always kind of had at the back of my mind that this is something that I'd want to do in, in, in Nigeria. Um, so I was sitting at my desk at JP Morgan, I get the call from, uh, from, a, from a European private equity fund um, to come and run their business. Uh, and I did that for about five years as the managing partner uh, and kind of looked around and saw that there weren't a lot of women running private equity funds in Africa, that there were very, very few women that actually owned private equity funds in the, in the whole continent. Um, so I took the decision to buy that business uh, and I rebranded it to Arua Capital Management. Uh, a lot of people thought I was crazy at the time, uh, but I believe uh, that in order for us to change the gender gaps that we see in society, we need to create our own tables. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we can't keep on begging for seats at the table without having uh, our own tables where we can effect change. Um, so I saw, so, you know, I bought the business and, and, you know, very, very happy to say that we've managed to, um, you know, reach a first close of our fund. Uh, we're executing investments aligned with our, you know, with our, with our gender lens strategy uh, and we're making impact. You know, we've gotten recognition from Forbes, Impact Alpha. Uh, we were one of the 14 funds interviewed by, you know, the Wharton Social Impact Initiative uh, for, gen for, for gender lens investing globally. Um, so, so, you know, I've also been through <laughs> the challenges uh, as, a, as a female founder, trying to raise capital, trying to convince institutional investors that, you know, you are living and breathing uh, the solution uh, that they uh, that they say that they want to uh, solve when it comes to um, gender inequality in Africa uh, and just wanting to affect change in your society and wanting to you know make make a long lasting impact based on the based on the problems that you see on a day to day basis. Um, so that's a little bit of a background on me uh, and and what we do at Arua uh, and I I now want to kind of set the context and 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 set the scene in terms of what is the state of, of capital raising in, in Africa? Um, and Africa has the highest percentage of female entrepreneurs in the world. Uh, one in four women in Africa are starting or managing a business. Uh, our entrepreneurial, uh, female entrepreneurial activity is four times uh, more than Europe. Uh, but on the other hand, 
when you look at the supply of capital to women entrepreneurs, it's a very, very sad story. Um, the IFC tells us that there is a 320 billion access to credit gap for women on the continent. Um, the AFDB tells us that there is a 42 billion funding gap between male entrepreneurs and female entrepreneurs on the continent. Uh, we make up 50% of the population, but only contribute uh, to less than 40% of GDP. Uh, of the roughly $725 million uh, that was raised by startups uh, in 2018 in Africa, only 2% of that VC funding went to companies uh, that were run by women. Uh, and the World Economic Forum tells us that if these gender gaps persist, it's going to take us 257 years to close the gender economic gap. Um, I say over my dead body when I, when I hear that statistic, uh, but that gives you kind of a sense of, you know, the state of, of, the state of play. Uh, and these barriers uh, have been you know, exacerbated by COVID. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, everyone, everyone uh, that is running a business has felt the impacts of COVID, whether you've had to slow down your fundraising plan, pivot into new revenue models. You know, it's been a very, very challenging, you know, 2020 was a very, very challenging year. And the small steps that we had taken in trying to, um, you know, address gender inequality has actually been brought back somewhat by the effects uh, that we've seen uh, uh, of COVID uh, in terms of um, um, uh, in terms of uh, women-owned businesses. Um, so just to give some statistics here, so women comprise about 60% of Africa's self-employed workforce. Uh, Women-led businesses, as we know, were disproportionately at risk during the COVID pandemic, you know, in service-based industries such as hospitality, retail, food, some of the hardest hit um, sectors. Um, and it's no surprise uh, that a lot of these businesses actually had to shut down. So 60% of women-led businesses lost their sources of income, three times more than male-led businesses. Uh, and be, again, because of the lack of access to capital, a lot of the stimulus packages that were announced did not address existing barriers to women, uh, for women. Uh, you know, there, was, there were a lot of debt facilities announced. I know in Nigeria, for example, a lot of debt facilities uh, uh, announced requiring, you know, unsurmountable amounts of collateral, um, not really being that patient growth capital that a lot of these businesses businesses uh, needed uh, at a crucial time where cash flow and liquidity were, were top of mind. Um, and a lot of banks and financial institutions, they weren't interested in forming new relationships with, uh, with women-led entrepreneurs where, um, uh, where, where, where awarded funding. They only got 20, 25% of what they were uh, of, of, uh, of the award versus what they applied for versus 53% for male entrepreneurs. 53% of the female entrepreneurs were uh, the applications were completely dismissed compared to 38% of, uh, of, of male entrepreneurs. And again, it goes back to the fundamental issue, which is we don't have enough women in decision-making roles. Because when you look at how many women were in the room when th these decisions were being made? Only two out of seven. So these unconscious biases uh, are, are a real issue of some of the setbacks that us as women face when we're looking to raise capital from investors, institutional, private, commercial, whatever you call it. They look at male entrepreneurs as aspiring 
whereas they look at female entrepreneurs as risky. Um, and again, you know, more research has shown this, you know, the London Business School um, also did some research and, they sh and, they sh and, it sh and it showed that men were asked more promotion questions. When men are pitching their ideas, they're asked promotion questions. Women are asked prevention questions. So men, you know, it's to, it, men are asked questions to illustrate the hope, the growth of the business. Whereas women are asked questions to minimize risk uh, you know, about safety, about security. So to give an example, a, a male entrepreneur might be asked, how do you plan to grow your business and acquire new customers? A female entrepreneur will be asked, how do you plan to retain or not lose customers? Um, so, so these unconscious biases, how do we address them? You know, and, and at the heart of it for me is we need to have more women as decision makers more women in the room allocating capital, writing the checks, um, because these un these unconscious biases are, you know, they are societal norms that will take a long time to um, to to you know break and will take a long time to to disenfranchise. So, how do you change that narrative? How do you change that perception? It's by making sure that there are more women, you know, in decision making roles. Um, so, so you know a very, very, very clear correlation that I made. Uh, and, you know, the reason that I left salaried employment and risked it all to start my own fund addressed at, at funding women is because the gender, the gender gaps in society are directly correlated to the fact that we don't have enough women as capital allocators. I strongly believe that. Um, when you look at the African continent of 54 countries and 1.2 billion people, you'd be surprised to know that less than 10 private equity funds in Africa are owned or led by women. And when you think about African women, it's less than three. So that is an issue, you know, that is a fundamental issue that needs to be addressed. Uh, when you look at the number of women in senior positions in private equity within Africa, it's 10% versus 13% globally in other, in other emerging markets. Uh, when you look at uh, globally, the number of private equity funds that are owned by women, it's only 2%. But the research is clear. When you have a woman that's at the top allocating capital, or you have women in investment decision roles, they're two times more likely to invest in a startup with a female founder, and three times more likely to invest in a startup with a female CEO. Um, there is a natural trickle-down effect to women in the investment portfolios when women are the decision makers. So, you know, this is uh, this is this is one solution uh, that you know that we are looking to address. We're fostering the ecosystem uh, uh, by having women as capital allocators and decision-making roles, so that we can change these gender gaps in society and address these con unconscious biases at the root. And why are we doing this? You know, I always say that it is the smart thing to do. It is actually a value driver. We are not doing this to tick a box. We're not doing this to feel good about ourselves. We're doing this to make money. Uh, there is so much data out there now showcasing the business case of investing in women. Uh, I'll touch on just a few here. Um, so McKinsey tells us that if the gender gap is bridged, there is an estimated 28 trillion that could be added to GDP by 2025. Um, not only that, women are an untapped 
uh, uh, market. Uh, BCG tells us that women control about $15 trillion of global consumer spending and will be controlling about 70% of consumer spending decisions worldwide. So if you are creating a business that is providing goods and services to cater to the female market, you're in a very, very good place because women are the ones driving purchasing decisions. Um, when you think about gender diversity on management teams uh, and making sure that women are well represented in companies, McKinsey tells us that companies that were in the top quarter for gender diversity were 21% more likely to experience above average profitability. Uh, IFC did research across um, private equity funds uh, and they saw that gender balanced senior investment teams generated 20% more return than those funds lacking in gender diversity. They saw the same thing on the portfolio companies that if you had gender diverse leadership, valuation was 20 to 30% higher than those that lacked gender diversity. Uh, First Round Capital also did a, uh, a survey across 300 of their companies and saw that teams with at least one female founder did 63% better than all male founder teams. So the evidence is out there. You know, I, I read the other day, Goldman Sachs also just brought out research of women outperforming male funds. So the research is out there. The re, you know, I think we're past the data, uh, the data proving stage now. Uh, the research is out there that women represent an, an untapped investment case. Investing in women, investing for women, investing in gender diverse teams helps to drive profitability. So we see this as actually being a return driver and a value driver for our fund. Uh, so we think that this missed opportunity is really the smart thing to do. But not only that, it is also the right thing to do. Uh, and we think that when you invest in women, there is such a seamless intersection between profit and purpose based on the role that women play. Uh, and I love this quote from, um, from the ex-president of the World Bank, where he said that when countries value girls and women as much as boys and men, and when they give women greater opportunities to participate in the economy, manage incomes, own and run their businesses, the benefits extend to their children, their families, to their communities and to societies and economies at large. Um, and that is just because of the role that women play. Women play such a significant role in, in the society that when women are actually empowered, they're investing 90% of their income back into healthcare, back into education and their, their family. So there is such a multiplier effect on the society and the economy when women are empowered and when women are invested in. So not only is it the smart thing to do, uh, it's also the right thing to do. Uh, as well. Um, so, so for us, you know, we think that in order to maximize returns, but also maximize, um, you know, socioeconomic development, maximize um, 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 the effects that we want to have in the society in terms of poverty alleviation, access to education, access to healthcare, you need to be investing in women and empowering women in society because we're a fundamental pillar that will drive that. And just to talk a little bit about Arua, you know, we're putting our money where our mouth is. Uh, and, I, and I wanted to give fundamental examples from our pipeline to illustrate this. So 100% of our investments in our portfolio and pipeline are, are aligned with our gender lens strategy. 50% uh, um, of our portfolio 
and pipeline of our businesses that are actually founded and led by women. Uh, we have about $28.5 million right now in our portfolio and pipeline across several sectors within agriculture, healthcare, technology. Uh, and these are businesses in Nigeria and Ghana that are either for women, so they're providing a good or service that helps to improve the lives of women in some way, or, or these are businesses that are founded and led by women. So we have an intentional focus of changing the narrative for women in society as entrepreneurs, as consumers, and as stakeholders. So you really, we really need to have more Aruas. We need to have more gender lens funds that are having this intentional focus of addressing these unconscious biases at the root by having women actually being the ones allocating capital. So what is the state of play in Africa? Um, so I think there, there are some bright spots. Uh, so gender lens investing, uh, globally has, in, has, incre has, has increased from about 1.1 billion in 2017 to 4.8 billion in 2019. Uh, Africa is a top target region uh, for those in the pri private market in investing with a gender lens. Uh, so Project SAGE, which is uh, an initiative by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative and Catalyst at Large, they surveyed uh, funds across the world to uh, to see which of those are, are investing with a gender lens. Uh, and gender lens can is broadly defined. I think a, a mistake that some people make is they think gender lens is only investing in women entrepreneurs, but it's actually broadly defined. It can be advancing women in finance. So that'd be investing in women fund managers, investing in you know women, uh, women uh, you know, addressing investment committees, et cetera. It could be investing women in, in, in leadership. So women entrepreneurs, uh, advancing products and services that improve the lives of women, advancing companies that have a positive impact on women, or advancing companies that improve the lives of women in their supply chain. So it's broadly defined. It's not only just investing in female-founded firms. Uh, but I think that the, 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 the positive thing is that we've seen almost a threefold increase in just the space of two years. So there is a lot of attention now being, being, being um, um, uh, focused on this segment that it's been too long, enough is enough. <laughs> we need to now start flowing capital to, to women that are looking to affect change in society through their businesses. Uh, and there are a lot of initiatives, but that've been announced, you know, and I, and I say here that bright spots exist, but the jury still remains out, uh, whether, well, you know, these initiatives will actually have a grassroots impact uh, to small and, you know, small and medium-sized businesses and women entrepreneurs on the continent. Uh, so this is an initiative called the 2X Challenge, uh, which is uh, seven of the DFIs, you know, they launched this commitment in 2018. Uh, they've actually surpassed their original 3 billion target and are now looking to mobilize 6 billion in the next uh, two years to women-owned businesses and developed markets, you know, women fund managers. They're trying to promote women's economic development. So this is a, one of the initiatives that's promoting women's economic empowerment. And you can see Africa is also a target region uh, uh, in line with other emerging economies. And, and you have a lot of other initiatives. I've tried to list some here. You know, the EIB announced a billion, a billion euro initiative called She Invest for women across Africa. Uh, AFDB just announced uh, a 5 billion, oh, sorry, uh, a 5 billion initiative over the next five years for small and medium-sized businesses in Africa. Uh, Goldman Sachs uh, launched a, a 500 million commitment uh, called Launch with GS to invest in women-led uh, women businesses and women investment fund managers in 2018. 
uh, since they've announced that. I think only one fund has been funded, so the jury still remains out there. Uh, Standard Bank also announced uh, the African Women's Leadership uh, Fund initiative uh, last year. Um, we're, we're still waiting to hear the results of that. Uh, and IFC obviously had their WeFi program uh, to support women entrepreneurs uh, in Africa through blended finance. Uh, so we have a lot of these initiatives out there. Um, and, uh, you know, we're really hopeful that in some of these initiatives will actually bear um, tangible results that we can see play out uh, on the continent. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, what are my tips uh, for female founded firms? Uh, I think, you know, it's obviously very, very essential to leverage your networks when you're looking to raise capital. Uh, you know, I think start from your network. I think it's so important that you leverage your networks. Uh, it's so important that you continue to learn, you continue to acquire knowledge, you continue to master your craft. Uh, I think it's also very important to be visible. Uh, you know, they always say that you, you know, how do they know that you're, <laughs> that you're, that you're, that you're available if you're, if, 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 if you're not visible. So always be visible. Um, I, I, something I also, also say is I think it's very important to know your why, uh, because there will be challenges. Uh, I've been living and breathing this for the last six years, trying to invest, uh, trying to convince institutional investors to, to invest in women in Africa. So know your why, it should be bigger than yourself. Uh, it should be about creating long-lasting impact uh, because if it's not, you will quit. I can, I can, I can, I can, I can assure you. Um, and for fund managers out there, I think start small with your own uh, capital and with your own network's capital. Um, don't chase the hundred million dollar first close. <laughs> Uh, I think just try and build your track record, start small, showcase the examples, uh, and the institutional investors will, 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 will be the ones calling you. Um, and for businesses that are looking for, for, for capital, get to know the gender lens fund in your region. There, are, As you saw from the Project Sage uh, report, Africa is, is starting to become uh, a hub for women-owned funds, you know, uh, businesses that are pursuing a gender lens investing strategy. Um, so get to know those funds. Um, and, I, and, I, and in closing, I wanted to end with this uh, very, very apt uh, quote that I love, uh, which says uh, that the bird rises against a strong headwind, not only in spite of the wind, but because of it. Uh, the opposing force becomes a lifting force if faced at the right angle. Um, so as a female owned business in Africa, you will face challenges in raising capital. Uh, I say that we're the triple whammy, uh, we're, we're women, we're African, and we're looking for capital in the African continent. So you will face challenges, but I think it's, it's, um, it's being strong despite of that. Um, so thank you very much for your attention. That is my, uh, that is my presentation. Hopefully you've, you've managed to learn a couple of things about, um, about what we do at Arua, uh, the state of play of raising capital in Africa as a female founder, uh, and some of the solutions uh, that that uh, that could be uh, that could be posed to to change the narrative for women on the continent. Uh, so yeah, thank you, Nikkei. Uh, open for any questions. Um, um, thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Adesua, for joining us today and for giving us such an insightful presentation. And we have our first question and. It says, you mentioned that one of the roles of Arua, one of the roles that Arua plays is instil 
institutionalizing the businesses they invest in. Most women-owned businesses in Africa are socialized towards doing business rather than building a business. By doing business, I mean they work so hard, accrue business years, doing a lot of business activities without knowing how to measure whether they're building their business or not. This stands in the way of female founders being able to raise funds. What is your view on this? And has you, have you found this to be common in Africa? Sorry, I keep I keep muting myself, but I'm not allowed to unmute myself. So I'm sorry. Um, just so I understand the question, is it is it trying is it talking about trying to uh, measure performance? So, I think what they wanted to know is that um, with with women, their business their business focus is not usually towards um, the way they do business is not usually focused towards institutionalizing. So. She was just asking uh, if this stands in the way of female founders being able to raise money and um, what, what's your view on it? Okay. And is it common in Africa? Yes, no, it's, it's very common in Africa because I think as founders, you know, we're trying to do so many things. You know, I think, uh, I think when you're first starting out, out as a founder, you're really just focused on growing your business uh, and hiring the right team um, and um, some of the small things that investors or small, depending on how you look at it, but some of the things that investors will look for when they're looking to invest in your business, you know, uh, have you kept the right financial records? Uh, you know, have you put the right, you know, systems in place and internal controls? Um, so, so I would say that it's, it's not just female owned businesses, male owned businesses as well. Um, they also have this issue where, it's part of the investor's job when you, you know, especially if you're investing in this small uh, SME segment, it's part of our job to be able to provide advice, provide operational guidance and institutionalize these businesses to take them to the next stage of growth. Um, and, and, you know, we're not trying to, you know, supplant management or, or, or change strategy. All we're doing is really just helping them make better informed decisions through, you know, measuring KPIs, through making sure they have the right checks and balances, making sure they have the right corporate governance in terms of the right board, uh, the right you know separation of decision making from management. Um, so just simple things like that to ensure that when you are looking to raise even larger capital than what we bring, you are you are you know you you know you have those attributes and those things that institutional investors will be looking for. Uh, so I would definitely say that institutionalization is not just common to female-owned businesses. It's common to all businesses in Africa uh, that are that are operating in that SME segment because typically family businesses uh, or just businesses that are growing quite rapidly, um, they haven't yet taken the time to do some of those uh, smaller things that ensure that institutional investors find you viable as a business. Excellent. Um, we have another question. Um, you mentioned during your presentation that um, there's often a confluence between profit and purpose when we see female-led businesses. Can you elaborate more on that? Uh, I wouldn't say that there's a conflict. I would say that there's confluence. A, a confluence, sorry. Yes, yes, there is definitely a confluence. <laughs> uh, there is definitely an intersection uh, between profit and purpose when you invest in women. And I think I touched on this on, a little bit on the slides, but there's so much data out there now that shows that when you invest in women um, and when you invest in gender diverse teams, 
this actually helps to drive profitability. And it's no surprise, you know, diversity of thought, uh, diversity of thinking, um, it helps, it help, it just brings different perspectives, it brings innovation, it helps to drive profit, it helps to drive return, it helps to reduce risk. Um, so investing in women is a smart thing to do. And that's why we do it in Arua. We, we, we're not doing it to tick a box. We actually think that it would be a value driver because as our companies increase profitability at the fund level, our returns are increased as well. But on the other side, it's also the right thing to do. It's the moral thing to do. Uh, we make up 50% of the population. We drive a lot of decision-making power in our homes and in our families. When we're empowered, our income is going into reinvesting into healthcare, reinvesting into education. Uh, sorry, men, but the data shows that when men are empowered, they're investing into alcohol and sex. Um, so, so there is a seamless intersection between doing the right thing and making impact in society and alleviating poverty you know, providing access to healthcare and education for our families, but also making money because women are viable investments. Uh, so that's what I mean by saying that is that seamless intersection between profit and purpose, because at Arua, we want to make money, we want to make returns for our investors. But if that's all we wanted to do, then we wouldn't be, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> we also want to make long lasting impact in our society as well. Uh, and that's why we're intentionally investing in businesses that are either for women uh, or by women, i.e. founded and led by women. Thank you for that answer, Adesua. Um, another question is that you mentioned that female-led businesses are disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. Do you think this is linked to the type of industries or businesses women tend to lead? And is there a case for women to establish businesses in male-dominated industries? For sure. I think I think it's twofold. I think that women were disproportionately at risk of the pandemic because of the sectors that they're, you know, that they're that women are typically in. Uh, so food, fresh produce, uh, hospitality, retail. Um, but also not only that, it's also because of the lack of capital that has been going to women before the even before the pandemic. Um, so because women owned businesses didn't ha don't have that patient capital that you need to, you know, to sustain your business. When the pandemic hit, a lot of businesses had very expensive debt uh, potentially that were, you know, if you don't have revenue on one side and cash flow on one side, but you have very expensive debt on the other hand, how do you keep up with your payments um, when your business is shut down? So I think the fundamental issue is not only the, the sectors, but it's how have these businesses been funded even prior to the pandemic? which has been an issue. Uh, and that's why I think we need more funds like Arua, where we're providing patient growth capital to these businesses in form of equity and quasi-equity instruments that allows these businesses the headroom that they need to be able to grow and to be able to withstand challenges such as the pandemic or just general challenges of doing business in Africa, which is very, very unpredictable. Um, so patient equity and patient capital is also needed for a lot of these businesses that has been now made evident by the impacts that we've seen in the, during the pandemic. Um, we have a question from Michaela. What are the biggest pitfalls and mistakes women make in the pitching for funding stage? What are the basic do's and don'ts? Um, so I would say that um, as women, we're quite... Um, modest <laughs> i would say that we are we are very very um 
I, I would say we don't we don't showcase our um, our abilities enough. Um, so I think that the biggest advice I would give to female entrepreneurs looking for capital is big yourself up. Um, uh, you know, as women, we, we typically don't want to say something if it hasn't happened yet. Be aspirational like the men, like the men. Big yourself up. Say things that may not yet have happened, but you're confident will happen with their money. Um, so I think that is one thing that I would say that as women, we can be better at uh, is just pitching ourselves a little bit more, backing yourselves a little bit more, because you can be sure that the men are doing that. Uh, and I would also say that some of the things that I've noticed as well with female entrepreneurs is not only are we not bragging enough, but sometimes you don't know our numbers as well. Um, so I think if you want to come to an investor pitch, come correct, know your numbers. Don't say, oh, let me let me talk to my accountant or talk to my CFO. Know your numbers, be able to answer the questions uh, and just back yourself and have that confidence that you know male entrepreneurs will have. Um, uh, but not only that, I think also, reach out to your networks because I think that, uh, you know, I was reading something the other day that angel investing with for women has now, you know, quadrupled. Uh, I, think the num- I think the number is um, female, over the last 10 years, the percentage of women becoming angels has nearly tripled from 11% in 2009 to about 30% in 2019. So reach out to your networks. There are a lot of successful professional women that in this environment are looking to um, are looking to uh, diversify their investment portfolios because what you're getting in the bank account is really not doing much for you these days with inflation at 14% in Nigeria and saving rates at 2% so or even 1%. Um, so you have a lot of women that are now looking to actually back women with their capital. So reach out to your networks um, and don't just um, focus on you know, the, the names that we know and some of those names that I mentioned in the presentation. You know, reach out to your networks I think that it, you know something that has been made pertinent in my story last year is to affect the change we want to see in Africa, we have to invest in ourselves. It has to be Africa investing in Africa. So a lot of the capital that we've mobilized in Arua has been local. It's been local commercial capital. So reach out to your networks because they are the ones that will understand the, not only the problems, but also the solutions that you're that you're proposing. You know, people sitting in UK or sitting in America or sitting in you know Europe, they may not have the same understanding. So reach out to your networks, uh, and I would say also, you know, brag <laughs> like the men do. Um, back yourself. Okay. Um, another question is. Do you deal with funding for real estate development by female-owned companies? Because that is a very difficult area for women to break through. Yes. Uh, so for us, just given where, where we sit in the ecosystem, uh, real estate is not a, um, is not an investment that we do because it's, just, it's typically a passive uh, investment. Uh, we want to be investing in businesses, you know, within agribusiness, within consumer goods, within healthcare, within education. Um, so we're not really, at Arua anyway, we're not really investing in, uh, we, we don't invest in real estate. It's just not part of our investment mandate from our, from our investors. Um, but there are, there are funds that are investing in real estate. There are, you know, I, I, know, I know a fund in South Africa uh, that invests in real estate that that's, that's actually led by a woman. Um, so there are funds out there. Um, and I think that, again, this goes back to the fundamental issue. The reason that, you know, real estate is typically 
uh, difficult is because you need that bank funding. Uh, not only do you need the bank funding, but you also need the uh, the seed equity as well. Um, so uh, it's it's for us, it's a tricky sector that we haven't yet uh, put as part of our investment mandate. Uh, but I'm sure that there are other firms uh, that are that are looking at that. But but for Aurora, it's not it's not a focus for us. Um, we have a question from Joyce. Um, what is your perspective about affirmative action to encourage proliferation of women-led funds or investment firms? Should there be more advocacy done towards African countries incentivizing women VCs, or should this be left to propel itself? There definitely should be more uh, uh, advocacy. Um, uh, definitely should be, uh, and I think that um, you know, a lot of these initiatives that have, have been announced have started finally coming around to the fact that, you know, these gender gaps in society will not be addressed unless we have women in decision-making roles, uh, unless we have women actually writing the checks, unless we have uh, more Aruas, unless we have more Alethea Capitals. Um, we need more of these funds to be able to address these gender imbalances. So there definitely should be more ad uh, advocacy at the government level. Um, because, you know, for me, something that I've always said is we have so much capital within our pension funds uh, that is being wasted, in my opinion. Uh, in Nigeria alone, we have about $25 billion of pension fund money uh, that is typically not invested within SMEs. It's not invested within private equity. Uh, there's a 5% allocation that we should be going to private equity. Uh, less than 0.5% has got into private equity today. Um, so, so yes, there definitely should be a, a advocacy for reforms in what we're doing in the pension industry, uh, reforms uh, in what we're doing with our sovereign wealth funds, so that there is a specific allocation given to women-owned funds and women-owned investment managers. Uh, because I think that to, to address these unconscious biases, there has to be an intentional effort by not only the private sector, but also the government. Um, so, you know, when we do our small part in advocacy, but we need more, we need more people uh, advocate, uh, advocating for women-owned managers and women-owned funds, for sure. Then one of our final question for today is, what is the procedure to getting funding from Aroa? Uh, so please look at our website. Uh, we have our investment criteria there. Um, you know, we are very uh, focused on one part of the ecosystem, which is growth capital. So businesses, we're typically looking for businesses with, a, with, a, with an existing track record that are looking for growth capital to take them to that next stage of growth. Um, so, you know, our investment criteria is on our website. Um, we're, we're, we're very easy and approachable. So, uh, yeah, get in touch with us if you, if you fit, that, uh, fit that criteria. And we're also only investing in Nigeria and Ghana for the time being. Excellent. Thank you so much, Adesua. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how best can they reach you? So I, I, I left my email address on the last slide of the presentation. So uh, okay. if, if you didn't see it, then you can reach me on LinkedIn. We've had a number of requests for your presentation. Is it okay to give us a um, So the presentation will not be shared, but most of the stuff is on our website. If you And reach out to me if you want specific information. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everyone. And for those who will be joining us for our next session, it will be at 
4 p.m. Um, Harare or Johannesburg time, which will be 3 p.m. Lagos time. I'm looking forward to you joining us then.